man, I just love hanging out with the Lord. It is so good and refreshing. So uh, in Galatians uh, chapter 1, uh, Mark, so Mark went through Galatians chapter 1, uh, and he got a little bit into chapter 2, uh, down to about verse 11. So I'm going to cover just a few short verses. Uh, we've kind of got a little, uh, a little point where we need to stop at because the next piece is really large, and it needs to all go together. The end of Galatians chapter 2 uh, needs to really go together. So I'm just going to cover a few pieces. We're going to bounce around a little bit uh, in the Scriptures. We'll be in Matthew a little bit. We'll be in Colossians a little bit. Uh, but uh, what I kind of want to look at this morning uh, is this, the nature of this confrontation uh, between Peter uh, and, and Barnabas and Paul. Uh, so Mark talked a little bit about it, that there's this, uh, there's this split, really. There's this disagreement in Antioch uh, with, uh, with Paul and with Peter, and, then, and Barnabas ends up kind of joining Peter's little crew. And so what I want to do is, is look at uh, why that happened, because uh, it's important to know why it happened, because these are brothers. We, we, uh, we need to not quickly jump to taking a side. Let's step back and, and really look at the nature of why this occurred, because I think you're going to find in Peter's uh, decision, I think you're going to find a lot of the push that we get in our culture right now. And so I want to I look at that, and I, wanna, I also want to look at the nature of the conflict. It's important to note how Paul chose to come into conflict uh, with Peter because I think it'll teach us a lot about what it's like to uh, sharpen one another and what it looks like in the gospel to have brotherly uh, and sisterly confrontation. I think this type of confrontation makes us really, really, really nervous, uh, but I want to look at how it's healthy and why it needed to be this way. So that's really the goal this morning. So we're going to kind of jump around. Um, I wanted to just remind you um, of some of the things that Mark taught last week. Uh, first of all, in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 6, it says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ, and listen to what he says, to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So understand, this is, the, this is really the heart of what uh, it, why he is writing. Later on, he's going to say, oh, foolish Galatians, who, is, who, who has deceived you that you might turn uh, from this original, uh, this original gospel that was preached to you? And so he's really addressing deception, okay? And the deception that he's addressing comes from what is called uh, Judaizers. Basically, it's, is there, these are Jewish Christians, people that want to um, add some uh, requirements of the law, mainly circumcision, onto the gospel in order that Gentiles might be uh, received as actual Christians. Okay? These aren't just Jews that stand, uh, that stand far back and, and want Christians to then convert uh, again back to uh, Judaism because they would never try to do that. A Jew would never try to get a Gentile to convert in this time to convert to Judaism because it's from your heritage. It's who you are, right? There's no conversion. What they're doing is they're saying, okay, we receive this Jesus, but in order to, as a Gentile, in order to receive uh, Jesus and be an authentic uh, Christian, you also have to complete these, these portions of the law. So this is kind of the, the nature of what's, uh, of, of what's happening in this conflict. And so what, what Paul does... Um, as he says, I'm so marveled that you would so quickly lend your ear, really, to this deception and turn from this original gospel, which is not another because there is no other gospel. There's just the gospel and perversion, right? You see this. There's no other gospel. And so he's quick to make that note. This is not another gospel. This is just a twisting and a distortion of the truth, which we know comes from one place, and that's the enemy. He's the author of lies. 
He cannot come up with truth, uh, so he just takes truth and twists it. So we know that this is kind of what's, what's at play. The other thing I wanted to, uh, wanted to highlight to you that I, that I just, uh, I, I go to this passage often. Um, the Lord encourages me from this passage just of, uh, of standing firm in the calling that God has put on your life. But uh, in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, go to verse 15. It says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So what he's doing is, he in, originally he calls himself an apostle. He says, I am called by Jesus Christ. And the way that this happened, uh, you know, on the road to Damascus, we know this story, this blinding light uh, hits him. And it's at this point where Jesus really gets a hold of Paul. He ta- and Paul is blinded and he, and he, uh, and he goes away. And then uh, if, if you remember anybody, remember the name of the guy that goes and, and heals his eyes? Quiz? Ananias. Remember Ananias goes and he delivers a message and he says, you are chosen by God to go and speak this gospel to the Gentiles, and he opens his eyes, right? And so it's, it's here where Paul really establishes who he is uh, in his ministry. And understand, there's some really important uh, uh, words here. He says, uh, when this occurred, are you with me? When this occurred, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I didn't, I didn't receive from Jesus and then go, okay, is this a good idea? Parker, I need you to tell me whether or not this is a good idea. This is actually Jesus that's speaking to me. Uh, do I have the qualifications? Do I fit in? Does my background disqualify me? Can you please tell me if this is authentic? He didn't do that. Because to do that puts yourself in submission to man. And in order to serve the Lord, you have to completely submit to the Lord. Do you see this? So he says, I didn't confer with flesh and blood, but I went away. And just listen to the Lord. Can you imagine what these three years in Arabia would have been like? Understand this. Paul would have had, uh, if you go to uh, the end, go to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Or Matthew intro. You know, some of your Bibles have really long intros. It's a whole page, right? So, and just put your finger there and then go to the uh, end of like the table of contents or introduction in, uh, in the very beginning of the Bible. Like before Genesis. So keep your finger in Matthew chapter 1. Good. I see some confused faces. Are we okay? Like page one, go to Genesis 1, chapter 1, and then go to the very uh, beginning of Matthew, and just kind of hold that up, that portion of Scripture. Everybody good? Good? We got it? How thick is that? Some of you have these like miniature Bibles that you can't even see the words. I don't know how you do that. And it's like four pages, but some of you have these study Bibles, you're like, I can't even pick it up. <laughs> right? So that's pretty, that's pretty thick chunk, isn't it? So Paul has this memorized, right? It's not like, he's not referencing it in his scrolls, in his back pocket, right, or his iPhone. Um, this, he's, he's got it memorized. He has, uh, he has, from a child, soaked this scripture, and not just to memorize it. He knows it backwards and forwards. The way that, I, I teach this often in discipleship, the way that they would uh, learn the scriptures is through this, uh, the art of question and answer. And you, to be able to really uh, know content of, of, of scripture or, or really know what you're talking about, you have to be able to ask questions about it, right? If you can't ask a question about the content, you don't really know it, it's just kind of there, right? Anybody, any teachers like, praise the Lord. No amens there, it's summer. Okay, so... Uh, so they would, they would, like, if, if I wanted to ask you about Matthew chapter 2, I might, I might, uh, I might 
bring the question in, or I might ask you about Matthew chapter 1, you'd have to answer me using Matthew chapter 2. You'd have to know the content, what's around it. Does this make sense? Art of question and answer. So Paul knows this scripture. Can you imagine what this three years would have been like as this man who's loved the scriptures to a point of extreme legalism, but has loved the scriptures? And can you imagine alone in the desert as Jesus says, it's about me? This is me. This law that you've loved and worshipped, it is a good and wonderful law, but it was meant to show you me. And it's me that you will now spend the rest of your life serving. It's me that you will die for. It's me, the revelation of who I am in this Old Testament scripture. It's me. This is what you're going to preach to the Gentiles. So he, he spends three years with Jesus alone in the desert, just, just him and the Holy Spirit talking about all the scriptures and the fulfillment of them in Jesus. It, the, the scripture doesn't record what that look, season looked like, but you can imagine it was, uh, it was intense, right? But, uh, but this is where he is. So this is, where, this is the person that Paul is. He's standing not on flesh and blood. I, I want to tell you that is important for us to know who we are, not because mom or dad told us, not because of what pastor told us, uh, but because we have heard God. Because we have, we have taken the time to open these scriptures, we have sat with the Holy Spirit, and we have heard God, and our confession of who we are is not based on flesh and blood, but based on God. And I promise you, you can, you can, you can stand and be martyred if who you are is founded in the voice of Jesus. Uh, but if who you are is in the voice of men, then when trial comes, you will step away. It just takes a certain amount of pressure. Yeah? So, it's kind of the highlights of chapter one. Again, Mark did a great job, and he'll be back next week. So there's more of you here than were here last week, uh, and I hope you're not sorely disappointed that Mark's not doing this again, but he'll be back next week. So anyway, so let's begin uh, in chapter two, uh, verse 11. You guys ready to go? Okay, there's no clock in here. In my old room, there's a clock, so we could just roll. All right, so verse 11, it says, Now when Peter uh, had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Anybody already a little uncomfortable? When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. All right, so we've got this character Peter here who's clearly done something wrong. Now, the, the, the nature of this relationship is not a bad one. If you were to start here, you would probably think that, uh, that Paul uh, and, and Peter... Uh, are maybe not the best of friends, but I, I think it's actually the opposite. I, I think that there's, there's very close camaraderie here. It's, it's these two men uh, that stood together and together vouched for the authenticity of, of uh, the Gentile be able, being able to become a Christian. They stood together in it and said, it, it doesn't take anything else but repentance and belief in Jesus 
in order to be a Christian. And they stood together. Now, these guys have been through uh, some, uh, some times. Peter was there as Paul's ministry uh, was, was launched. And so uh, it's not like these guys really hate each other. And this is just the offspring of that conflict. These are brothers. These are brothers serving faithfully in the same gospel ministry. And there is clearly, at some point, there has been a departure in Peter's theology that Paul sees as a serious issue. And we're going to look at what that issue is. But it says that he confronts him to his face because he was to be blamed. And then we go, okay, so that's a big confrontation. And it says in verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. So what's this conflict over? What's up? Okay, being hypocritical, but let's like dumb it all the way down to what it says. Who he's eating with, right? It's like you walk into Chili's and she's with your best friend's girlfriend and it's like, oh man, I'm not eating, you know, that's it, right? I don't know. I just, that was off the top of my head and I'll never do that again, I promise you. <laughs> Stick to the notes. <laughs> it's, who he's, it's who he's eating with. Isn't that a strange thing? Right? Doesn't it seem a little bit strange? That I was stood into his face because he was to be blamed and it was because he was eating with somebody else. Anybody ever been in elementary school at the lunch table? Right? It seems like that, doesn't it? It seems like a strange thing to get upset about. And really, it's not even about who he was eating with, but it's about more who he was not eating with. Right? Because he says, look, before these guys came, you would sit with the Gentiles and you would hang out and you would have fellowship and you would eat. Then, see, then these guys from Jerusalem come and start hanging out with us. And now you're going to back away and you don't eat at the same lunch table anymore. Right? Why is this a big deal? Why does it matter where he ate? I, I, I'm not going to go back and, and us reread it all, but I, I want to go back and uh, briefly just bring you up to speed on Acts chapter 10. So in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit calls Peter on a rooftop. And he has this vision. You need to go back and read this, okay? This is, this is huge to understanding this passage. Uh, he, he has this vision. And all, it's, it, there's, this, there's this white sheet that comes down from heaven. And all things that in Jewish law are ceremonially unclean are on this sheet. And this voice says, Peter, eat. This devout Jewish man who, according to the law, to even be around this stuff is foul and unclean. This comes down from heaven on this white sheet, and his voice from the Lord says, Peter, take it and eat. Right? You see this? Is Peter a little uncomfortable? He hears this voice whom he knows, but he's telling him to do something which, according to law, is, is totally forbidden. And it says that it happens three times. So Peter rejects it. Happens again. Peter, eat. No, no. Peter, eat. And then all of a sudden there's this knock at the door. And these Gentile men had, have come to get Peter. And this comes to fruition. Go to, um, let's see, go to Acts chapter 10. I want to show you this. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, and again, I'm just skipping a ton. You have to go read this. 
Uh, it says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, so after he goes uh, with these Gentile men, they, they, they approach him uh, and, and basically uh, he realizes why God is uh, speaking him to, to him in this way, in this vision. God's speaking to him about, his, about ministry to the Gentiles, right? He's forecasting, just bringing all these people in. Jesus did it already. Jesus said, There's, there are some that are not of this fold who I will bring in. And he's, and he's revealing this to Peter. And here's what, here's what Peter says when, all, when it comes around. He says in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by God. So what's the confession that Peter makes? There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. But whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted before him. This doesn't come because someone convinced him of it, right? It comes, he has this vision from God. God brings this other man and he realizes in this moment what God is speaking to him, that there is no more dividing line. That in Christ there is one new man. And we call him a Christian, but he's made up of both Jew and Gentile, right? And Peter comes to this revelation. But what's it about? It's about food. It all begins with food, with what's unclean and what's clean. So now take this forward and go back into Galatians. And now we understand what would, what would Peter have been doing by eating with the Gentiles? So use a little context clues. What would he have been eating? Unclean food, right? Simple. You sit down at a table with the Gentiles, they're not so worried about the law. They don't even know it. Right? So Peter, in, in, he's totally right in this. Peter, in realizing that the, there is no dividing line anymore, that the gospel is for all, Peter has fellowship with the Gentiles. This makes sense. So he's in Antioch, he's hanging out with the Gentiles, sitting and eating and breaking bread with the Gentiles. Listen, uh, partaking in a meal is such an, an intimate and an important thing in, in Christian fellowship. That's why we potluck like nobody's business, right? There's a closeness there. You guys ever shared a dinner table with, with close people? Sometimes it happens in tragedy. Sometimes you're celebrating something. Sometimes you're just, you're, you're just getting to know one another better. But that, that intimate place of where you have a meal is such a great uh, place of fellowship. And so what Peter's doing is he, is he is being the body of Christ and going to these Gentiles and sitting at a table with them. Expressing, man, there's no difference between us. And Paul loves it. I, I imagine there was a good few days here in Antioch with Peter and Paul ministering together. One to the Jew and one to the Gentile, but all together, right? But then something happens. The scripture says that these guys sent from James show up. This, is the, this would be James, the brother of Jesus. He's in Jerusalem. And these, we don't know a lot about who these guys are. But they show up and, based on context clues, believe these are Christian men. Believe these are Christian men. Their dispute is not with Jesus. Now, there was still dispute about Jesus, okay? That's not what these guys came in heralding. Their, their dispute was with uh, Jesus plus, right? What they wanted to discuss was, uh, okay, so Jesus we accept, but there's also, remember I told you about Judaizers. It's this tone. What they want to do is they want to add on. 
And so they're still going to separate themselves from unclean things. They're still going to partake in, in pieces of the law. And, and for these guys, probably not pieces, probably the entire thing. They would still have held to this law very tightly while praising Jesus. But they come in in their mere presence. These guys must have been people of stature, must have been uh, very uh, highly esteemed in Jerusalem. And their presence spooks Peter. And what it does is, is just their presence. And Scripture doesn't record words said. I, don't, I, I can't tell you the conversation, if there was pressure uh, verbally on Peter or not. But in some way, there was pressure, whether mere presence or verbally. And Peter withdraws himself from the Gentiles. And in this move, now watch this, in getting up from the table, he makes a statement. What is that statement? Somebody said something. He's pleasing man. What is he saying to the Gentile? That's good. You're right. He's pleasing man. He's submitting to this, this voice of these guys from Jerusalem. But what is he saying? What's his expression to the Gentile? You're unclean. This fellowship we had was actually pretty fabricated. Because now that there's this other pressure, I'm going to withdraw myself and be somewhere else because I, you are not worthy of my fellowship anymore because of what you partake in. Look, I love you, but you've got to clean the table. Right? It's the statement that he makes. And who sees this? Right? The Pharisee of Pharisees, the man that knows the law backwards and forwards, the man that killed people over the law, right? <laughs> right? This guy, who, who I'm telling you, knows the law better than probably, uh, probably anybody in this, in this time. This is the guy. And he watches this, and he, he knows also what's happened to Peter in, in the backstory. He knows the revelation that Peter's had. Look, he knows the fellowship that they've had for the last few days in Antioch. He's been at the table with Peter when he sat with Gentiles, and he watches him get up, and you can tell it burns him really, really, really deep. Because what they have fought so hard for, Peter has in a motion discredited all of it. These guys have gone to war to preach a true and authentic gospel that says there is only one new man in Christ. And Peter, in one motion, gets up from the table because of pressure from others and says to that fight, says it was worthless. Right? And so Paul's response in verse 11 says, When he came, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now, we can, we can take a lot here, okay? We can, we can pause on this and take a, a lot from, from here. One of the things that we have to notice, that we have to notice, is the pressure that, that legalism places on others and ourselves. So one of, one of the things about legalism, one of the things about the law is that it's most comfortable in groups, right? You'll see this. When this pressure came, it didn't come with one man. Peter would have withstood one man. It came with a group. And it came with a group that said, you, you have got to partake in our method of the law, right? So that pressure came in groups. Why? Because there's no authenticity in it. 
Authenticity comes in, in legalism. Watch this. In, in legalism, the, the comfort of it comes in how many people will partake. Does this make sense? That's why it's so dangerous. When we preach legalism, the comfort in it is that if, if, I'll, if you'll just do it with me, then I'll feel good about what I'm doing, right? Have you ever been to high school? Right? It's the essence of peer pressure. Why? Because it's a departure from what's right in peer pressure, and its comfort is not in the activity. It peer pressure, right? Guys, high school, look at me. Peer pressure, the comfort is in the group, not in the activity. Well, it's the same, thing, it's the same way with this departure from the gospel. It's not about whether the theology is right or not, because clearly it's wrong. Peter had withstood the departure in the theology, but what this sought to do was bring in groups. And the pressure that Peter felt was fitting into this group, being perceived rightly in front of these high and esteemed men. And what does it tell us? It tells us that the authentic, real gospel of Jesus will always face pressure from legalism. You hear me? There is no greater evidence of that truth than the Western church. And it's not a Jewish legalism like what is seen in the scriptures. Anybody, well, no. Uh, Notes, notes, notes. I'm not going to depart there. But its comfort is in groups. And so we learn that that the pressure here for Peter to stand, he would have had to stand alone against these men. And really, it wasn't alone. He would have had had brothers with him, but he responds to the pressure and departs from the gospel. And uh, I think one of the most harmful things about this is, and one of the, to me, most sobering things, is that his departure came in an action. Peter didn't stand up and start preaching a different gospel, right? We We don't read that. Peter didn't stand up and say, you be circumcised. You clean your table up, right? We don't don't read that. That his discrediting of the gospel came when when he stood up and walked away. Simply in action. That's why Jesus is so concerned about fruit, right? What you do comes from who you are. So we see this, this action here that shows a shift in Peter's heart. So what does it look like for us? What is a pressure? Just, let's just throw a few ideas out there. What does is, what is a pressure from legalism look like on the gospel today? I was going to go into a few examples of my own. I'd love to hear from you. What do you think? Where are, we, where are we pushed to really depart from the heart of the gospel in our culture today? Everywhere. I mean, like in schools. I mean, I even um, have read somewhere where the military, you know, we're not going to be able to pray. Sure, yeah. For the freedom that they fight for. I'm going to push a little harder. Okay, that's good. That's culture. What about in our churches? Ugh! feels weird. <laughs> this is not time to bash the church, but let's be sober. Put weight on different sins when we bring yeah, that's good. Yeah, there's like, there's an activity push. Like your, your faith is based in how involved you are, how active you are, right? 
It's a form of legalism, right? And, and <laughs> look, and you feel bad about not doing it because uh, Gina and Mary are doing it, right? Hello, legalism, right? Anything else? Any other thoughts? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. If I'm, yeah. 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 People have uh, have looked at the church and and wondered how is it different from a elite country club, right? Uh, it's, it's again, it's it's not. That we're not church bashing here, but let's, let's be sober about what's happening, that we might be people who hold to the truth of what the gospel is, that it is for all men, it's salvation for all men who would repent and believe that this is the heart of the gospel. And in, in Peter's action, he stands up uh, and he walks away, but we need to also understand what is the pressure that's on us to depart from, uh, to depart from the gospel. So uh, let's, let's move on just a little bit. I want, to look at the, uh, I want to look at the nature of the conflict, and then, and then we'll be finished. So, again, we're, we're, we're dealing with the fact that Paul says that I confronted him to his face, right? In front of everybody, okay? So how would it, man, Jared, if I just called you out right here, wouldn't that get a little awkward? Right? This is, this is what Paul does. In the midst of Jew and Gentile believer alike, Paul looks at Peter. This isn't just like anybody. This is Peter. And he calls him out on this offense. Right? Is that okay? What's up? Better than doing it to his back. Amen. <laughs> Mark says absolutely. Is this kind of confrontation acceptable? This makes like the like real behavior-oriented uh, people, like really quiet people, makes you just really uncomfortable, right? Like there is no way I'm getting in front of a room and shouting at somebody for what they did wrong. But here's the deal. We can twist this and distort this very quickly if we don't see the nature of the conflict, okay? So let's read a little bit, and then, and then we'll look at it. All right, so we're, we left off in uh, verse 13. Now watch this. This is why. He says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now, I'm going to stop. I know it sounds like a weird place to stop. Mark's going to go back and he will cover verse 14, again, he's going to cover the whole content of that, uh, of that discussion that Paul has. So the goal here is not to study that. The goal here is to look at those, those first few words. He says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. So what is the nature of the conflict? Why is Paul rising up and speaking to Peter. Because what are they doing? Peter and this group, look, it, even Barnabas, I didn't cover that a, a lot, but even Barnabas, this is like Paul's right-hand man. Even Barnabas gets pushed into this pressure. And he stands and confronts them all for what reason? Because they're preaching another gospel. They're preaching another gospel. What does it say? They were not what? 
Straightforward. Any other versions? What, what do different versions say? In step with the truth. Weren't following the truth. Any other? Deviating from the truth. What was the nature of their deviation? Was it private? No. What was it? We're doing opposites. Anybody? Okay. It's public. How do we know it's public? Yeah, so he says it before them all, but the conflict, the nature of the conflict, is it private or public? It's public, right? You see what's happening. You, you, watch this, guys. What, what's happening is these guys from Jerusalem that supposedly, they have, they have an elitism about them. They come from Jerusalem. They come from James, Jesus' brother. And really, what they say carries lots of weight. You see this? What they say carries lots of weight. So when they come in, and an entire body, an entire church, we know this is taking place uh, across the board because it's affecting the way that they sit with one another. Now look, we're Baptists and we know about potlucks, but they, the, the believers here would do something very, very, very similar. I've read that they, uh, they called it um, agape something. I don't know the next Greek word for it, but it, it was to describe their fellowship, that they would regularly, Acts says that they had all things in common, right? These believers were a very close-knit group, and there was large fellowship. They would regularly commune with one another. So these guys come in as brothers, and they begin to put this pressure on, and they didn't do it privately. They didn't take Peter aside and go, look, Peter, you don't need to be eating with these guys. It was affecting what was happening in the whole group. Anybody's boss ever come in the room and you like sit up a little straighter and act like you were working or whatever? The presence of somebody of authority brings in a new behavior. You see this? And that presence wasn't a private thing. What was happening is very quickly this perception of two different men, again, Jew and Gentile, this perception of gospel plus was affecting everybody. It was infecting Everybody. Peter's motion to get up results in questions from the Gentiles. Can you imagine? If you were a Gentile believer sitting at the table and all of a sudden Peter's withdrawing himself, the question that you would have, we know that all of these are relatively new believers. It just hadn't been around that long. <laughs> so they begin to ask, is there something that is not okay with me? Is there something else that I need to do in order to gain acceptance? Is there, some, is there some other version of Jesus that I have not heard? Is this man enough or is there more that needs to be done? You see this. You see the questions that begin. And it happens silently, but it's affecting an entire room. It's affecting an entire church. And can you imagine how fast that would spread? And if an entire church in a city where the spread of the gospel was rapid, can you imagine how quickly that bad theology would spread throughout a city? You see this? The nature of the deception was public. So the nature of the confrontation is also public. But it is not over something small. It is over a clear departure from the gospel. It would be like if somebody stood up in, our, in this pulpit in here and began to preach a perversion of the gospel. It would require an immediate response and not one that's private. 
I know this makes us a little uncomfortable because we don't deal like this very often. We don't, we don't deal with issues out loud as a group very often, but what Paul does is he stands. He sees the virus spreading as he stands, and he says, you have believed a different gospel than what you're living out. You see this? And he says, how can you, who have sat with the, these Gentiles, how can you now require of them to be Jewish? And he publicly confronts Peter, because there's a departure from the gospel. So what's important for us to know? How do you know if there's a departure? How do you know if it's a moment where you need to get up and address something? Because if one of y'all gets up when Pat's teaching today and says, Kendall told me to do it, I'm going to flip out. (laughs) We don't just get up (laughs) because... What somebody says makes us a little uncomfortable. Why does Paul stand? Because there's a departure from the truth. How are you going to know if there's a departure from the truth? Do you know the truth? You've probably heard this a thousand times. Preachers love this example, but it is so good, and so I'm just going to use it. But guys that study, uh, that, that look for fraud in currency, how do they, how do they know the lie? What do they study? They only study the truth. Isn't that crazy? How many fabrications have there probably been of of U.S. currency, of any currency? Probably tons. And you would think they'd go through and they'd, they'd try to study each subtle deception, right? But they don't. They study so closely the actual thing that if anything else comes in, they know this is not the real deal. I use this example all the time. I don't have a pen, but uh, I always... People get frustrated with me all the time, I know, because my examples are so weird. But Ty, this is a fork. No, it's not, Kendall, Kendall, you silly man. (laughs) This this is a pen, right? But if if you didn't know a pen or a fork, thank you, you're blowing up my example. (laughs) You you wouldn't know that that I was lying to you. It's so, it's so easy to pass off deception when there's no foundation of truth. It's not hard. It can be as outlandish as, as me telling you that this is a... I mean, that's a stupid example. No person in their right mind would believe that this is a fork unless you didn't know what a fork was. You see this? Deception, no matter how broad, can be passed off so easily if we don't know the truth. Go to Colossians. So what's the truth? Paul's dealing with a lot of the same stuff. It's a little more uh, Greek in the deception here. A little more uh, mythological, philosophical kind of stuff here in Colossians than, uh, than the real Jewish push, but he's addressing deception. And he says in chapter 2, He says in verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to what? According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to... And not according to... Christ. Beware. 
He didn't say, beware of this, 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 and this. He says, beware, because there's, there's, there's philosophy and deception that abounds, and it's based on the, the elementary principles of the world, right? It's based on the philosophy and empty deceit of men. But beware, lest anyone try to move you from this thing, Christ. And then watch this in verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does he say? He says, beware lest anything deceive you that is a departure from Christ. And why Christ is so important? Because he is perfect theology. Hebrews says that he is the expression of God himself. That what you see in Jesus you know is true about the Father. Listen to me. All deception will at its root seek to twist Jesus. You hear me? I need nods, affirming nods. At its root, all deception seeks to twist Jesus. Jesus is the expression of who God is. He says he is the expression of, uh, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The gospel according to Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. How do we know it's a departure from the truth? Is it a departure from Jesus? Is it a departure from what he taught? Is it a departure from his nature? Is it a departure from what he said and did? If it is a departure, then it is deception. No matter how many times they quote Paul to try to do it. What did Satan attempt to do with Jesus? How did he try to tempt him? What words did he use? He used the scriptures. Satan's quoting scripture to deceive Jesus. Listen to me. The enemy knows the Bible. If it's not Jesus, it's deception. It's so important for us to know him. He has, is, he is, by the grace of God, revealed himself in the scriptures. In salvation, he departs it to us, uh, not departs, imparts in us the Holy Spirit who said, I want to teach you about Jesus. I want to show you Jesus. We have full and untainted access to the Father through Jesus. Look, it's not a problem of whether we can know him. It's a matter of do we know him. And deception rises when it twists Jesus. And that's why Peter stands. He says, this is not the gospel of Jesus gospel of Jesus said there's not one man and another, that there is one new man in Christ. That he died not for Jew and not for Gentile, but for all. And that on him was laid the iniquity of the world. And that if you repent and believe, then in him you have life, regardless of where you were born. And Peter, you know this. You see that? Peter, you know this. Not because I told you, but because you, God did. And at the root of Paul's confrontation, though it ends strangely, 
It ends in this departure. At the root of confrontation, it was not for confrontation's sake. It started because the gospel was being twisted publicly, but at the root of it, what is Paul's aim? His Paul's aim, he calls out Peter specifically because his aim is for Peter to return to that which he knows is true. You see that? Peter, you know this. How can you, who have, we see the personal reference, how can you, who have, who have acted in this way and according to this truth, how can you depart from it? He's going to say the same thing uh, to the church at large in chapter, uh, at the end of, uh, or sorry, at the beginning of chapter 3. So Mark will pick up uh, there. He, he may go back a little bit and give a little more, um, a little more context around that, but uh, I wanted you to see the nature of that confrontation, that confrontation's good. Confrontation is so good. We need not fear confrontation, but in order to confront, we've got to know the truth. In order to confront rightly, we have to confront for this purpose, to bring somebody back to truth, not to convince them that what we believe is right. You see this? We don't confront for the sake of legalism. We confront for the sake of the gospel. And there is a place, and we could study this more. You should do it. You should study it more. I'm, I, I am also. Uh, there's, there's a place for confrontation in the church. It's okay that we disagree with one another. It's, it's how we wrestle it out. And I wanted you to see here that in this loud, kind of uncomfortable confrontation, the aim of it was to bring Peter back to the truth and for the gospel to be preserved. And all confrontation is good and right when those two things are in place. I'm convinced. With me? So it's okay to get a little uncomfortable with one another. And again, we're not calling people out for the sake of calling people out. We defend the gospel. And we fight for our brothers who may have departed. Cool? Cool?